Welcome to the New Freedom Church Podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. So on this Resurrection Sunday, I want to start out a brand new series of messages titled The Great I Am. There are seven statements in the book of John where Jesus declares these words, I am, and then he finishes the sentence. And in him finishing the sentence, what he's doing is he's revealing something about why he came, who he is, and what he came to do. And so today, I want us to look at the book of John. Uh, Before we go to the the passage of Scripture, though, uh, the book of John is is such a a fast-paced kind of telling of the account of of John's eyewitness uh, to Jesus' life and ministry. And uh, when we get to chapter 11, we see that the title says, The Death of Lazarus. In my Bible, it says, The Death of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus was good friends with Jesus, and Martha and Mary were uh, the sisters of Lazarus. And in this text, what we're going to find is that there is this, um, I guess you would say this ongoing dialogue, we're going to jump into it in just a minute, this dialogue between Jesus and his friends, and what they thought Jesus was saying was not exactly, they didn't have it all kind of formulated in their mind of exactly what Jesus was saying. And so the, the, uh, the scenario goes that Jesus has given the message that his friend, the one he loves, Lazarus, is near death. And in fact, it's, it's estimated that probably as soon as the dispatch was given to go tell Jesus, it was about a day's journey to get to him, that Lazarus probably died shortly after the messengers had already left. And so Jesus waits two more days before he even leaves after receiving the message to go on a day's journey before he finally comes to the bedside, what, what many of the disciples thought were going to be the bedside of his friend Lazarus, but Lazarus had already died. And so this conversation ensues between Martha and Jesus. And Martha says something like this, Lord, if you had been here, you could have stopped this. If you had been here, this would never have happened. It was almost like a a blame game, maybe a little bit of a guilt trip in a sense, but there was also just this this, uh, anxiety upon her heart, this disappointment, this unmet expectation that she was feeling in this moment. You can understand very real human emotions that we all go through when we don't have things turn out the way that we would like for them to turn out. And so when we get into this text, we're going to see that Jesus uh, starts to elaborate for her something that is a much deeper truth than just simply a life and death experience of her brother Lazarus and his friend Lazarus. But Jesus develops something much deeper. And in John eleven twenty three, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And so she had this future hope of something that God was going to do. It had been embedded in her culture for all of her life. It had been talked about and and learned for thousands of years before Martha ever came on the scene that there was this great getting up morning that someday God was going to set everything to right. There was going to be this great resurrection. And so when Jesus told Martha, your brother will rise from the dead, she had in her mind this future expectation of something that would happen in the long out distant future, the long range plan of God. She knew what that was going to be. And so she automatically jumped to that place. And so she said, yes, I know that he'll rise in 
the resurrection. And oftentimes, people don't mean what we think that they mean. Uh, sometimes things get lost in translation, or maybe they're just not as clear as we would think. Or we come into a conversation with a preconceived notion of what we think the outcome is going to be of the conversation, that we really miss the gist or the main point of what someone is saying. Oftentimes in dialogue, we are already thinking about how we're going to respond before the person even finishes what they're saying. We, we live in this fast-paced culture where we have to have these quick replies and a, a nice retort, and we always want to win the point and get to the, the, the end message. But this was not the pace of Jesus. Jesus had something else that he was doing about resurrection and life in this text. Now, notice here that Jesus does not correct her theology. Martha was not wrong that there will be a great resurrection in the end. On the last day, there will be a great getting up morning. He, she, he was, she was not wrong about that. So Jesus didn't correct her theology. He, she just didn't have all of the facts to formulate the truth. See, a fact here and a fact there does not the truth make. You can have a collaboration of facts, but that doesn't mean it is the entire picture. And Martha had a narrow focus. She had a myopic view of what she thought God was going to do in the last day, but he wasn't doing it in her day. And so Jesus boldly says, your brother who is dead is going to rise again. And so what she failed to realize was the immediacy of what Jesus was doing in the here and now. And this is the lesson I think that we can take away from this part of the text is that we should never become so preoccupied with the eventual that we lose sight of the immediate. In other words, God wants to do something right now in your day, in your time, in this hour. You were born for such a time as this. And God is moving, God is wooing, God is drawing people to himself. All throughout the land, all around the world, we see that people's hearts are turning back to God, turning back to God. You can only focus on the bad news if you want, but there's some awfully good news out there. There's some gospel news. There's some news that Jesus saves, he heals, he delivers, and he still rises the dead spiritually. And one day physically, we will rise with him. And Jesus explains exactly what he means in the next two verses. I love it when the Bible becomes its very own commentary. You don't need anybody to break this down for you. Jesus said it himself in verse 20, 25 and 26. Jesus said to her these words, I am the resurrection and the life. Two very important things are being described here by Jesus. I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha, do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. This is the fifth I am statement of Jesus in the book of John out of seven. I'm going to cover another one next week, another one the week after that. But today on Resurrection Sunday, let's look into what exactly did Jesus mean by this, by this I am resurrection and the life. In other words, he's saying, Martha, that final thing, that eventuality that you are thinking about, that long-held hope and tradition that, that you have rehearsed in your mind, and it, it kind of sets things right. Every time someone dies, you recognize that, well, there will be a time when they rise again. Martha, that very final thing, that's me. Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection, and right now I am the life. I am alpha and omega. Je Jesus is saying, Martha, that final thing, that's me. 
You are looking at the final solution to all the problems you have. You are looking at the very one who can give you this immediate Zoe kind of life, this life that is abundant and everlasting and free-flowing both in this life now and in the life hereafter. This is some good, good news by Jesus. And so people certainly can exist. They can go on living. They can eat and sleep and work and live without having the life of God flowing through their veins, without having the the kind of Zoe abundant life Jesus is talking about. People do it all the time. But Jesus says there is something more than just common existence. There is something more than just the human scope of reality of I must get up and go through the routine of the day and someday I'm going to lay down these boots and I'm going to put off this body. Jesus said, no, there's, there's more than that. And he further elaborates when he says, when a person believes in me, lays down their earth suit. In other words, when they die, when a person dies, he said, they most certainly will rise again on that great resurrection day, the resurrection body, but there's also something more. And he says, and whoever in this current life believes in me. Now, let me break down the word believe for just a minute. Jesus is asking her this question, do you believe this? And this whole context is about believing something. Now, belief is not mental assent. I believe that this roof is going to hold before I get out of this room, but I don't know that for a fact, but my experience tells me it's happened before. And so, so I have some mental assent to the fact that this building is secure. But you had a level of trust when you came into this room and sat down in the chair that you're in, that it was going to hold the weight of your frame in order to not fall into the floor by experience, by learned experience. You are giving some mental assent, but you're also trusting. And so it's taking you a little bit step further. And here's what Jesus means by belief. It's not just simply saying, yeah, I've experienced it before and that, that is true. But believing is to trust in, to adhere to, to rely on it. This is a deep down on the inside. I know because I know because I know. I may not be able to always articulate it. I can't always explain it, but there is something on the inside that I truly grasp onto and I believe this. And he said, whoever believes in me, though they die, though they change addresses, if you will, they they lay down this earth suit. And so we know that for the believer to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. They've changed their address. They go from this earthly realm to God's realm, which we know is heaven. But that is not the ultimate blessed hope of an individual heaven for the believer. There is a new creation that God is working and God is doing. And Jesus illustrates this through this story and through this very real message that he's about to do with Lazarus. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the first fruits of those risen from the grave. And just like Jesus, all we who have accepted and believe on his name shall experience resurrected bodies in the new heavens. And for those of us who have ever suffered the loss of a loved one through physical death, through having to go to the graveside and say goodbye on this side to someone that we knew and loved, there's a whole range of emotions to that experience. And you can see that in this story. If you, you read the entire chapter of John 11, you can see that there were, uh, there were these, these, these emotions from grief to rage, anger. There was pain. There was loneliness. All of these are addressed right here. And the sadness now is being relayed from Martha to Jesus. 
And Jesus takes this so seriously. Jesus receives these words and all these feelings to the depth of his heart that it, the Bible says that Jesus wept. Jesus cried. It touched him so deeply. But in proper context, it is from a biblical point of view that not through an insensitivity, but through a future expected hope, we can grab on to verses like this. 1 Corinthians 15 and 19 says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. That means if, if all you have is just that you're gonna live right now, then that's not very much to live for. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or died. Fallen asleep in scripture is a euphemism for death. Christ has risen from the dead. First Thessalonians 4.13 says, but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who sleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. You know, there is a grieving to loss because people who don't have a hope of this, what Jesus is referring to, this resurrected life. There is this grief where there's no hope that this is the end. This is all that there is. There's nothing else after this. I'm here to tell you, there is something after this. There is life after death. There is an eternity to spend either with God or separated from him. And this is what the, the, the writer is telling us is that we don't have to grieve as those who have no hope because we have a different hope. We have an eternal hope. We have this sure hope that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And then he goes on and says that we don't grieve as those who have no hope. For since we believe, there it is again, that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Matthew 28 and 5. This is our Resurrection Sunday text right here. But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. He's risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Jesus declares at the death of Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. This is a great announcement of who he is, what he came to do, and what Jesus provides for us even now. Now, this announcement was followed by Jesus then walking into the grave. He raises Lazarus with his voice. He just says, come out, uh, come forth from the, that grave. And, and Lazarus comes walking out. And all this happened about two weeks prior to Jesus' own resurrection. This happens about two weeks prior to the, the, the whole Passion Week that, that we just have come through, the, the whole Holy Week. But Jesus' resurrection, hear me, was the greatest miracle ever to take place in the history of the world. There's never been another one like it, but there will be others like it. And you and I get to be participants in that great day. Ezekiel, the prophet, he, he sees this vision and it's a vision of a valley. And in this valley, there are dry bones. And the, 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 the dream comes to him, this vision as he's seeing, and there's a, a dialogue and the question says, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, only you know, Lord, I, I don't know. And so God instructs him to prophesy to the dry bones, to the dry places, to those things which have, have dried up and died in the life of the nation of Israel. And we know that this valley of dry bones was God's people. 
And so this is just a precursor that God gives us in the Old Testament. As we get to the New Testament, we see these stories like the raising of Lazarus for God to declare through the mouth of his servant, through not just a prophet like Ezekiel, but through the very son of God where Jesus says, I am that resurrection. I am that life that you're looking forward to. I am the one who has come to bring you all of the things that you want and that you need. Jesus' resurrection made it possible for God to become our king. Is he your king today? You see, we all have questions about life and death and what happens after that, how things are gonna turn out, how life ends. What happens when I die? What happens when a loved one dies? What does it look like on the other side? We all have questions about these things and we should. And the Bible gives us ample evidence of exactly what happens once a person departs from this address, from this flesh suit, from this shell of a body. For the believer to be absent from this shell, we're in the presence of God. And sometimes it takes a while for God to get our attention, for us to start questioning some things and putting together some of the pieces. Martha didn't have all of her theology correct, and I'm so glad that God didn't wait until I got my theology 100% right before he saved me but he allowed me to get to this place and then he took me to that place and from glory to glory, God brings us to the level that we need for that day. In the early 1800s, there was a young attorney studying for law. His name was Charles Finney. Charles was a skeptic. He was mostly agnostic and, and didn't really even care if there was a God or not. He was interested in his pursuit of law. And he was one of the most skilled uh, lawyers of the day. He was one of the most brilliant students of law in his era, in his time. But he started noticing something as he would study the law. So many references in court cases that were decided would go back and it would talk about the law of God, the law of Moses. It would talk about the Old Testament. It was referencing a Bible that he knew very little of anything of. He had never been exposed to it himself. And so he began to question, well, what does this mean? Why is this so much in the text of our law journals? And he started to read the Bible secretly and undercover. He started to read the Bible for himself. And by reading the Bible for himself, all of a sudden something activated on the inside that he was more curious about what this God was all about. It says this in his autobiography. Then one night in October, 1821, a strange feeling came over me, Finney says, as if I was about to die. I knew that if I did, I should sink down to hell. But I quieted myself the best that I could until morning. At an early hour, I started out for the office. Just before I arrived at the office, something seemed to confront me. Again, nothing physical or literal has happened, but he's having this inner turmoil, this dark night of the soul. And he says that this confrontation came to me in these phrases. What are you waiting for? What are you trying to do? Are you endeavoring to work out your righteousness on your own? Salvation, it seemed to me, was an offer that needed to be accepted. It was full and complete. And all that was necessary on my part was to give up my sin and to accept Christ. Now, not wanting anybody to see him pray, not wanting anybody to know that he had a Bible, he ran off into the woods, far away and out of sight so that no one could see him. And he says this, 
As I returned to the village, I found that my mind had become wonderfully quiet and peaceful. No words can express the love that was in my heart. I wept aloud for joy. And he writes this, tears ran down my face like liquid drops of love. This born again experience that Finney experienced just him and God. No one even had to tell him all the whys or what fors. He simply took a Bible, began reading it, and the wooing, drawing, convicting, loving presence of God spoke to him through these pages. Now that may sound like a radical conversion, because it is. Resurrection Sunday is all about radical change. It's all about God touching something and it never stays the same. Whatever God touches, it is eternally different. And maybe today you're questioning some things. Maybe today there is not ending out in your life, eternal life or this abundant life that you would hope for. Maybe you realize today that all of your pursuits, all of your earning, all of your learning, all of the things that you have walked through the doors to achieve, you realize somehow they're just not fulfilling the way that I thought they would. Then God asks you this question today. Just like Jesus asked Martha, after giving to her this great expose of what resurrection and life looked like, he asked her this question, do you believe this? Do you trust in this? Do you rely upon this? Do you embrace this? Is this something that you can take to heart? Do you believe this? With heads bowed and no one looking around, just between you and God. I wanna ask you this question today on Resurrection Sunday. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And I ask, do you believe this? Maybe you used to believe this at one time. Perhaps you've never even been confronted with the question. So whether to believe or not, hasn't even been examined. But now in this moment, in this time, on this resurrection day, that we celebrate what Jesus did for us. And then on the third day, he rose again. You want to believe in this. This is between you and God. I just, I wanna pray a prayer. You can pray something like this. Dear God, I want to believe. Help me to believe. I wanna have this abundant life today an eternal life in the hereafter. So yes, today I boldly proclaim, I believe. Today I believe that Jesus is the resurrection and Jesus is the life.